This is episode 204 with podcaster extraordinaire, running coach, and the rambling runner himself, Mr. Matt Chittam. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and the episode you're about to listen to features one of the most prolific running podcasters out there, the host of The Road to the Trials and The Rambling Runner Podcasts, Matt Chittam. We're talking about how he fell in love with the sport, the mistakes he makes that he advises his runners not to make, and what's happening next at Rambling Runner Headquarters. Now, if you're new to the podcast, you can expect conversations between me and the thought leaders in the running industry to give you the knowledge, mindsets, and tools to get faster, stronger, and become a more capable athlete. Because if you better understand the process of improvement, when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll be a much better runner. Don't miss our YouTube channel, where we have hundreds of videos on how to run longer, strength workouts, how to stay healthy and run with better form, and a lot more. Go to youtube.com slash strengthrunning, subscribe, and you'll see every video that we publish. And of course, strengthrunning.com is where it all began. Since 2010, we've been helping runners level up their training, race faster, prevent more injuries, and get stronger. You'll find our award-winning blog, our free email courses, and the full library of training programs and coaching services to help you accomplish your biggest running goals. And I couldn't have made this episode without our sponsor, Precision Hydration. You can hear me discuss all things hydration with their CEO and founder, Andy Blow, in episode 147 of the podcast. I love Precision Hydration because they have a free online sweat test that will give you a personalized hydration strategy at precisionhydration.com. And our listeners can get 15% off your first order by using the code STRENGTH15 when checking out at precisionhydration.com. All right, my guest today practically needs no introduction. If you follow the big running podcasts out there, no doubt you'll have heard of The Rambling Runner, which is a top 10 running podcast in the United States of all time. Host Matt Chittam joins us today to talk about his training, the lessons he's learned from recording more than 500 different podcast episodes, how you can get hooked on this amazing sport just like we have, and a lot more. Matt is one of my favorite people to chat with because of his energy, his enthusiasm for amateur runners, and his optimism for the future. This episode will leave you feeling ready for that next big run on your schedule. Without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Mr. Matt Chittam. Matt, thanks so much for hanging out with us today and being on the other side of the microphone. How's it going with you? It's going great. Luckily, this side of the microphone also works. Um, Got a really nice microphone here at the Rambling Runner Lab. No, I'm I'm so excited to chat with you, Jason. As you know, I've listened to your show for a very long time. I'm on the email list as well. Um, So much good stuff you're putting out. Hopefully, I can live up to the type of content you're used to giving to your listeners and readers. Well, thanks for that. And I'm just really excited to talk with you because you are you are one of the top running podcasters. You're a coach. You've just published, I think, more than 340 episodes of The Rambling Runner. So maybe first a huge congratulations for an epic milestone. I mean, that's just a mind-blowing number to me. Uh, I, I'm in the 200s now, and I thought I was doing well, but you are just crushing it. 
you are doing well. You know, I think you're more of the quantity. I mean, quality over quantity. Maybe I'm on the other side of the spectrum. Um, oh, come on. <laughs> no, but I, I, I really enjoy it. There's no question about it. Actually, when you all told between the Rambling Runner, which, you, which I think put episode 343 this morning, um, Road to the Trials, which has had 82 episodes between season one and season two, and for a little over a year or so, I, uh, I started the Providence College podcast. That was the first podcast I was a part of. So that was a weekly interview podcast as well. I think all told, I've done 500 of these suckers. Yeah, not to mention all the times you've been a guest on other podcasts. <laughs> Right. That's fair. It is a little different. As you know, you've done you've done both sides. It is different being a guest than a host. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, Matt, I'm just really grateful for all you do for the running community with all the podcasts that you're involved with. Uh, They're a little bit different. The Road to the Trials is certainly different than the Rambling Runner show. Uh, But I wanted to get to know you a little bit more and get to know how you got started in the sport of running. So, Maybe we could start with just what got you into running, how old you were, what what made you want to try it? Yeah, I, I was I've always been an athlete and I've always been an athlete. So I was an athletic kid growing up, involved in a variety of different sports, and I was always pretty good at them, uh, enough to like want to continue doing them and, and things like that. And I always enjoyed it. And I was lucky enough to grow up in a neighborhood which was like a typical New England neighborhood that you would expect when you hear that phrase. And you know, there was I'm not even kidding, like 10 kids within 18 months of my age, you know, either plus nine months or negative nine months. I mean, we had stuff going on all the time and it was really, really enjoyable. So it was was easy to be a fun athletic kid. So I've always been into sports, no doubt about it. I got into running specifically when I was in middle school. So my dad, who was a good athlete, who played a little bit of college football and was on a really good high school football team and also ran track for a long middle high school in Massachusetts, which is one of the better, you know, better high school athletic teams um, in Massachusetts, especially Western Mass. Um, he quit smoking when I was in sixth grade, I think. So he quit smoking. He actually just lost his job as well. So he kind of like, so he lost a job and he's like, you know what? I think out of a control thing, he's like, All right, I'm going to quit smoking, did that and basically took all of that energy and put it into running. So he was not in shape, but he was smoking two bags a day and he hadn't been exercising. So he got, so he's like, All right, I'm going to start doing this. I'm going to start running. I adored my father. I was a pretty active kid and because he was out of shape, even though he was an adult, I could keep up with him at that age. So I would kind of tag along. I wouldn't go on every single run he would go on. Um, But when he started entering 5Ks, I would definitely go. So I would usually do the kid race. And then eventually we started doing the 5Ks with him. And that was really my entree into the sport. And uh, I really enjoyed it. It wasn't like my top thing or anything, but it was more of like something I did with my dad. And if we had like a local 5K in town, I would be involved in that. And that was really exciting. Uh, Actually, you'll love this. So I went back to look at like, what was my first 5K time I can look up on the internet? So I did like that one hour deep dive, um, going into the now defunct coolrunning.com, searching through all their past archives. And um, I, the, the one I, I could go back farthest one was like a Thanksgiving turkey trot at St. Luke's School in Barrington, Rhode Island. And I'm like, oh, I did pretty well in that one. I'm like, I wonder who won. I wonder if I could look up to see who who won it. And I didn't know who won. I didn't, re- didn't recognize the name, but I did recognize person who finished third in this really obscure race. It was Mario Fraioli. 
No way. I just had Mario on the podcast. New England running is such a close-knit community, isn't it? <laughs> it, it? It really is. I'm like, I can't believe I found, I was like, I immediately took a screenshot and sent it to him. I'm like, you would not believe, I'm like, I'm not on the page that you're seeing. I think I'm on like page three of this, you know, um, <laughs> this, this web address, but it was, it, that was really funny. But, you know, and then the high school, I kind of got into it again. It's like a secondary sport. So my sophomore year of high school, I ran cross country in the fall, um, basically just to do something. Um, and then I would run track to junior year and senior year, which I enjoyed. And we, we went to like the state finals and like the four by four, which was fun. We had a pretty good team. I was like the, the slowest guy on the team. I think I ran like, if I was running the 400, it was probably around 58 seconds. And if it was a split, like during a relay, it was usually use like 55 or 56 seconds. So, um, I was the one, I was the one holding our team back <laughs> for all intents and purposes. Um, but then for me, it was always about like running for other sports after that initial foray, uh, with my dad. So, wow, you, you really got into more formal running in high school, it sounds like, with cross country, with track, you know, really involved in the sport itself. I would say, say two points. For cross, so cross country, I did it for one season and it was enjoyable for sure, but it was like basketball was my thing. So the minute cross country season and basketball season overlapped, which is like every single time you have like adjacent seasons with high school sports i was like see you later running i'm going to play basketball so like i was involved in it but i was like i wanted to be an outsider in a sense so like i would still wear my basketball shorts to practice right i would still do like i was enjoying my friends and the team but i wouldn't completely conform to what was happening it was more like i'm doing this because like it's kind of fun but i'm not a runner i'm a basketball player who runs that was like one of my great friends in high school. He was the captain of the soccer team in the fall. He was the captain of the tennis team in the spring. And then I convinced him to run indoor track in the winter. And he just thought it was crazy with all the running that we did. But it was great. I mean, he did pretty much every event from the 600 on up to the two mile. And, <laughs> you know, I think he ran like a 530 mile. He, he ended up being a, a pretty decent runner. Uh, and so it's great. I, I love when friends get their friends to to try track or cross country it's fun and, like, I, and i would tell parents like hey you should let your kid do that too because you can jump into all these events like when i did track i didn't just do the track part like i was doing the long jump i was doing the triple jump i was doing the high jump i was doing all the stuff so like if i had a track meet i was doing between six and eight events at every single meet and that was when it was fun ah uh, to be 16 again <laughs> yeah, it's like you do the one, the four, the four by one, the four by four, the long, the triple, and the high. My goodness, your nervous system is going to be fried after all that. Well, yes, but it's like, you know, you, the, the jumps are fun, but like they're not taxing. You know, there was one meet where I think I ran the mile and then I convinced my coach to let me do the triple jump and the open 200. And I was a distance <laughs> runner. So me doing these events just for kicks just for fun after my main event was just a, a hilarious side adventure for me. Did you break 30 seconds in the 200? Yes. I think I might've run a 27 high, which nice. is my best all time 200. And, and you, you telling me that, Oh, I would split a 55 in the four by four. And I was the one dragging down the team. I was like, Oh, I don't want to tell you what I was running in the 400. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, I think our four by four time at States was three thirty six. So I think we came in again, Rhode Island is small, obviously. Um, I think we came in like fifth or sixth. I mean, the team that won smoked us. 
Yeah. But we were but we were in the final, which was nice. Now, at what point would you say you got hooked on running? Because, you know, right now you are, I would say running is your your jam. That's the sport you're most participating in, at least. You're probably watching a lot of basketball and other sports, but you're participating in running. You know, you're a running coach. You have multiple running podcasts. How do you go from, I'm going to dabble in running, but abandon it at the first sight of basketball to, I'm going to be doing a lot of running stuff in so many different facets of my life? Right. I, I think, well, first of all, I always, especially when I got to college, I re- realized that I really did like running. So I like became friends with some of the guys on the cross country team and some of the girls as well. And just happened to live in proximity of each other. You know, it was in college, like you kind of becoming friends with the people in your hallways and things like that. And I just happened to live near some of the runners as well. And actually one kid on our high school, one, one kid on our uh, basketball team was a really good D3 runner. So he was like sub 26 in the 8K he was fantastic. Um, his name was Avi Kramer, who went to um, Deerfield. So he was a basketball player at Deerfield and a really good runner, and then ended up winning the New England Grand Prix after high school. So the BAA New England Grand Prix, he ended up winning the thing. And he was doing double duty all through college. And I think he ended up running like 25-30 at like the regional in at Vassar. But anyway, so I got so I, I would run with them occasionally. Again. I was awful compared to what they were doing, but, um, and still to this day, but it was really enjoyable. I had so much fun doing it so that when I ended up leaving college and then once like noontime hoops wasn't enough for me. So I, I coached college basketball as soon as I graduated college. So I basically just stayed on college campuses, um, for like another 15 years or 18 years at that point. So I you know was coaching college basketball. I liked it. I did play noontime hoops on occasion, but that wasn't quite enough. So that's when I started picking up running. At first, it was more casual. And then I was like, all right, I need to kind of go all in. I was used to being all in on my primary sport. And that was the move I wanted to do. So basketball was no longer that endeavor. Running became that endeavor for me. And that's when I joined a group. So at the time, you know, I am now I'm, I'm married with I have young kids. And at the time, back then, I was single. And I was able to just kind of like do whatever I wanted with my time as long as I wasn't working. So I joined a Providence running group based out of the Ronald McDonald house. And it was great. So like the two people who coached you were Ann and Bob Rothenberg. I don't know if you know those names, but they coached the Brown university cross country and track teams for like three decades. It was like an embarrassment of coaching riches for me. <laughs> I probably should know those names because I went to the Brown cross country camp in Providence back in, I want to say 2000 in the year 2000. Okay. So they might have just retired Okay. at that point. They might have just left uh, at that point. So, Jason, it was 50 bucks for a year to join the team. Bob would write me weekly, like basically weekly uh, training schedules and coach over 200 people in group workouts at various points throughout the week at the Brown University Stadium. 50 bucks a year to do this. And they didn't take the money. It went to Ronald McDonald House. They were just doing it purely volunteer. It was unbelievable. So um, that was great. It was it was wonderful for me. It was it was again being part of the group. I would do a track session in the morning at like six thirty a.m. on a Tuesday, and then we would do a Saturday long run as a group, and you kind of split up into different groups. It was really enjoyable. So that was the first time that I really got you know super hooked into running. I loved this track stuff because I was more of a fast switch athlete, and I was able to kind of punch above my weight in the track workouts compared to like the, the Saturday long runs. And it was great because on the track, 
they before our group would start, they would have some of the best runners in Southern New England would be running and Bob would be coaching them as well. So you'd have like former PC athletes, um, former Bryant runners in town and things like that. And, and they were, you know, these were for men, you know, sub 236 marathoners for women, sub, you know, three hours, sub 250 marathoners, and then the corresponding 10K and 5K times. So watching them run was awesome. So I would get to practice early just to see them run. And it was so cool. And one time seeing like Kim Smith do a workout before our workout. And this was like when she was going to the Olympics. I mean, this was prime Kim Smith years. And it was really just super exciting. And that's kind of when I got hooked. And I wouldn't say that like my progress in the sport or commitment, even commitment to the sport as a runner myself wasn't some sort of like linear pathway up. But that was definitely when I was in it all the way. And, and it, from then, it's just kind of built. It kind of, it's, it's built up since then. It sounds like you almost got hooked on the sport of running because of the social aspect to it. You know, you you joined a group, you enjoyed the workouts, then you're kind of in contact a little bit with some of these really fast runners, some of these professional runners. And of course, that's super inspiring. I mean, I, I one of the reasons I loved running on a college team was that, you know, I, I had to work so hard to be the seventh or eighth guy on the cross country team. And there were so many guys who were just so much faster than me. And, and that was very inspiring. You know, it, I think a lot of people might get upset with that or, you know, they get a little bit down because they're not as fast as those runners, but man, it was just so aspirational for me. And it sounds like you just really liked running with other people. I mean, that was one of my favorite aspects of being on a team was the community was the, the other teammates. Yeah, I, I, I'm not gonna lie. There have been times where I've been jealous of teammates, for sure. It was hard to get jealous of like watching these track workouts, though, because it would be like me getting jealous of LeBron James's basketball ability. It's like, we <laughs> right. are in two different universes. There's nothing to connect us, right? Um, so it was just, it was beyond that. It was like, like you said, purely inspirational. I would even say more so aspirational. Like, look what's, looks what's possible, right? These people are doing awesome things. And they weren't all like 27-year-old just out of college, nailing it. Some of them were, but some guys like Kevin O'Neill, who's a local Rhode Island guy, I think he was like 41 and he was running like a 236 marathon, you know, doing really well in 5Ks. And he's like worked full time too and doing all these workouts in addition to that. You see that you're like, this is awesome. I can totally get down with this. For me, it was, if it was just the long runs, I don't think that I would have become as attached to it. It definitely was the track workouts because for me, it was finding a hobby or an activity that not only did I liked, but also that was close enough to something that I was good at, that it was an easier conversion into that or even assimilation into that realm, right? Like if it had just been about long runs, like I didn't do long runs. So I would have had to really build up there where I was like, all right. I've done sprints before. I've been doing sprints for decades at that point, right? Like I was all about that. Like I've been doing, whether it was basketball or every other sport that I'd ever done, I was used to running 200 to 400 meters in a variety of different ways. I was doing track workouts every summer when I was playing college basketball just to get ready. So this was not a departure from stuff that I had done. So that was a really easy way for me to get into it because the stuff that was new wasn't the sport itself. It was the community was new, but the track workouts were really similar to what I'd already been doing, which from, I didn't view it this way at the time, but looking back, that was a really great way to find something 
that would kind of fit like hand in glove into what I was looking for. Yeah. And I think this is a great example for our listeners of, you know, if you're starting anything new, whether it's running or, or really any sport, you know, surrounding yourself with other people who can support you, who you can go running with, who might be a lot better than you and can serve as that aspirational example is just such an amazing way of staying committed to the sport, increasing your motivation, increasing your consistency. There's almost no downside to that. And then the other really interesting part of what you're saying is like you're you were drawn to a part of the sport that you had some experience in. You had some experience in the speed aspect to running. And I think anyone who might be getting into running or, you know, even has years of experience of running, you know, I, I think we should all kind of look at not only what we're good at, but what we really like to do in the sport and go all in on that, you know, really, you know, prioritize the speed workouts. If you love being on the track, if you're a trail runner and you love being on the trails, let's do more of that. If you want to have, you know, maybe you have ultra marathon aspirations and you love those long runs. Maybe you're the opposite of <laughs> the opposite of you, Matt, you know, maybe you really prioritize those. And so I think it's a great example of, you know, surrounding yourself with people who are more likely to support you and keep you going in the sport and then also focusing on an area of the sport that you actually like. And yeah, looking back in hindsight, you created such a wonderful little environment for you to grow in the sport and now become who you are today. Yeah, I mean, if you think about like you want to level up, level up, level up, level up, level up. If you're at the, the first floor of that, I would say, you know, is it, is it Rory Vaden who has like that, that book comes out, the book that came out was like, take the stairs, right? It's like basically a metaphor for working hard and not skipping steps. For me, like that, to reach that first level, I think you should take the escalator. <laughs> like <laughs> find something that is a little bit easier to kind of take that next step, right? It's just like if your child wants to start playing the piano, you don't want their te their first teacher to be someone who's like, dictatorial and like, okay, make sure your fingers are here. Your feet are here. Your posture is just so, okay, don't lean this way. Don't lean that way. Oh, head up. Oh, head down. Right, you, there probably is a time and a place for all those kinds of instructions, says the man who's never taken a piano lesson in his life. But you want that first teacher to be more like, I just want this new pupil to have fun. I want them to enjoy this experience because from that foundation, all those other things can happen. But if you don't have that first, right, that first leveling up that's based on enjoyment and passion and having a good time and doing it messy, then you're never going to get to the highest level because you're just going to leave the building altogether and go somewhere else to stretch this metaphor completely to its breaking point. Um, and that's what ended up working out for me. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because looking back and when I started running in high school, I, I actually did not like running. And then I went and joined the cross country team. I was like, what am I thinking? What am I doing? But what kept me in the sport was the fact that the guys on the team were just a really good time. And it was very different from my basketball experience, which, you know, where the practices were much more formal and structured. And you couldn't just have a conversation with someone because you're playing basketball, you're trying to perform some drill, you're working on a play, you know, you're otherwise sprinting around and you really can't have that kind of a conversation. But for all those easy runs, those just distance runs where you'd go out for 40 minutes, 50 minutes, we were just joking around and telling stories and just being crazy 14, 15, 16 year old kids. 
that's what got me hooked on running. It was almost like the running was secondary to the social aspect of the sport. And that's what kept me in it. And as soon as I started seeing some progress, I also was then hooked on the progress, on the improvement, on, wow, if I'm improving this fast now, I'm going to be a four-minute miler by the end of high school. Now, of course, that never even happened. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, at least as a freshman, was delusional enough to keep me in the sport. And I'm very grateful for that. Um, Matt, I want to talk a little bit about your running right now, because I understand that you had a little bit of an injury, but you're, you're on the, on the mend and you're coming back. Is that right? That's exactly right. Like so many runners, um, I haven't been as consistent as I've wanted to be over the past few years. <laughs> this is, this is what kills me, right? Cause we have these injuries and that, that crop up in our life. And the first thing is like, why did I not be consistent when I was healthy? I, now I'm forced to be inconsistent. If I had only been consistent when I was healthy, this, you know, what, what could have been, right? So um, I'm just coming off a knee bursitis issue in my left knee. So the bursitis is not something that's visible. I know there's some, you can get a bursitis where you can actually see it from the outside. This is more inside of the knee. And um, yeah, it stopped me from running for almost three months um, completely. And for a while, I, it, was uncomfortable to bike as well. And because we didn't have a, um, a diagnosis, anytime it was uncomfortable, I would just, I just shut it down. And that wasn't ideal because I came into this calendar year starting on August 1st with pretty big goals. I was like, all right, I just had had the worst athletic year of my life. I am committed. I am going to have the best athletic year I possibly can. I set kind of an arbitrary goal of like, I'm going to break, I'm going to try to break 40 in the 10 K I'm turning 40 this year. I think it's a stretch goal that's also within my capabilities, so it's not completely random. I like the symmetry here. Let's go for it. Um, but beyond the goal, it was more about being committed to it. And I talked a big game. I'm, I was going to do it. Ultimately, Jason, my effort level and commitment did not match how much I talked about what I wanted to do and how many of us can fall into that trap where we go into things with the best of intentions and we really want to do the best we can but ultimately, when the rubber meets the road, we end up saying, okay, I want, I have all these goals, but I want to do it on my terms. And that may work some of the time and it may work in certain endeavors. But ultimately, if you're not willing to do all of the things, not just the things that fit into your comfort zone or fit into the certain strictures that you have put in place with what you think you should be doing. And you don't fully accept not only the re current reality of your situation, but accept the expertise of the people that are surrounding you, then you're going to limit yourself. And that is exactly what happened to me. So what I was unwilling to do was just some of the stuff that you talk about all the time. I hear in your podcast constantly, I read in your emails. I was flooded with all of the right information between my personal coach, my, you know, pseudo coaches like yourself, not pseudo, like you are a real coach, but you aren't my coach, but I can learn from you. And I didn't, I wasn't doing any of the pre-run activation. I wasn't doing any of the post-run stuff. And I wasn't doing the stuff on the off days. What happened? I didn't have the hip mobility I needed. I didn't have the glute activation that I needed. And ultimately what ended up happening, I developed a knee bursitis because my knee and the surrounding tissue was taking the brunt of my running that should have been going up the chain and I should have been a healthy runner, but I wasn't because I let my ego get in the way. Yeah, you thought you didn't have to do the warm-up and the strength work and all that. Those are for those fun. other people, Jason. They're not <laughs> for people like me. 
you know, I've always said that the hardest aspect of the entire, you know, run sandwich concept that I talk about somewhat frequently is, you know, you sandwiching your run between a dynamic warm up at the beginning and then 10 to 20 minutes of some type of body weight, strength or core work at the end. The hardest aspect of that is just finding the willpower to get it done. Because if you can just get it done, you don't have to want to do it. You don't have to enjoy it, but you've got to do it. And, and that's just the hardest part is just finding the time, finding the drive to get it done. But that's, yeah, I mean, that's a, a story as old as running itself, right? I had big goals and then I didn't do all the little things that would then enable me to get those goals. And the reason I wasn't doing them was because I was healthy. I was healthy and I wasn't doing them. So I was like, I don't need to do them. Look at me. I'm fine. I'm not injured. Why would I need to do this and reactivation stuff? If, if it's supposed to keep me from being injured, I haven't been injured in six months. So what's the problem here? Well, anyone who's looking from, a, from, from outside of my brain would have been like, yeah, dummy, it's because you haven't racked up the kind of mileage that would cause these injuries yet. Anyway, um, <laughs> and the fact of the matter is, What's happening now is a great testament to how useful this kind of stuff can be because I didn't run for three months. I basically didn't do any cardio for three months. And if you don't believe me, you can ask my belt because my belt is will be able to speak very, very eloquently about exactly how much weight I have gained during that time. So here I am three and a half weeks since I not only was diagnosed with this, but was finally given a concrete plan of like, okay. I was um, actually the podcast I released today was Dwayne Scotty. He's a uh, New Haven based running physical therapist. And I've actually had him on the podcast as well in episode 141, I believe. We talked all about hamstring injuries. We did a deep dive on that. Great, great uh, physical therapist. So I actually, so I went down to his office. So I drove two hours down to New Haven. We had, a t- we had like a two-hour session. We did a full diagnostic. What's going on with Metchum as an athlete? And then he gave me a bunch of exercises to do on my PT days and pre-run, post-run, strength stuff. And, well, it's been three and a half weeks since I started running again. I just finished up an eight-mile run. I haven't even showered yet. I'm just hopping right on the pod, right? And you see me. I look like a normal guy, not dying. It was 80 degrees. This run went really well. And it's because I was able to get back to that kind of like medium lifetime fitness level very quickly because I was doing the right stuff pre and post run. So I was letting my body do what it knew it need, what it knew it could do with actually a fairly quick ramp up because I was doing all the other stuff to make it happen. And kind of the next hurdle for me is making sure that it's a habit that I will continue when the, uh, the shadow of injury is no longer, you know, ever present. Yeah, I, I would will just say that you actually had a fairly quick turnaround for someone who had spent three months injured. It seems like as soon as you started doing some proper rehab and, you know, working on some of those mobility and activation issues that you were having, you were able to get right back out there on the road. Yeah, to a point for sure. It's like, you know, first week was like eight miles, 10 miles. Next week was like 15 miles. Then it was 24 miles. And now this week, we're going to hit like 29 miles. And what it's done is basically three weeks, three days on, and then one day off. That's how I've been progressing through. So I've had plenty of plenty of off days. And yeah, I mean, ultimately, it's a testament to the fact that like, I was doing pretty good training before this. So I wasn't like I had three months off, but before that, 
I was putting in like 15 miles a week. Like I did have some pretty good training leading into it to pull from. But then also in coming back, the miles have come up, but I am not like doing hard workouts. So a lot of it, we're just talking about aerobic stuff, you know, a couple like mini surges and strides here and there, but this has been purely aerobic, easy running to get me back into it as opposed to like doing 29 miles with, you know, doing like an 80-20 ratio where I'm really pushing it 20% of the time. I'm not. I'm pushing it like 3% of the time right now. Now, are you finding that all the, the strength training that you're doing now and all those rehabilitative exercises for your knee, are you finding that it just leaves you feeling more durable so that when you finish, say, an eight-mile run, you know, you, you seem energetic. You seem like you're feeling good right now. Do you feel like it almost allows you to do more volume or harder training and, and just bounce back from it a little bit quicker. I think so. I, 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 it would be more intuition than result at this point because it's still pretty early, but I can say this is that I can, I notice the difference just in walking around, working my, working, doing these exercises a lot more. So I'm doing a ton of single leg stuff, right? Whether it's step ups or lunges and things like that. And I am not strong enough at, at this point, we're like adding weights even close to necessary. It's just not. And that's totally fine. And I can tell the difference in my leg strength overall. There's no question about it, just walking around because I can remember back in the days where I used to lift heavy legs all the time for hoops. So doing squats was just like, that was the way of the world. We were squatting 12 months out of the year. And so I'm, I, I know what that feeling is like. I'm not doing anything like that now, but you you're, you kind of remember like, oh, yeah, this is what it feels like to have stronger legs and not just like running tolerate, running tolerant legs. And I think that that was for me is a difference. And it definitely is something that it is so intertwined. And I'd be shocked if it didn't help me long term. I got to be honest with you. It was just more of those things where like it probably harkens back to exactly the way I felt. But in a much, much, much smaller degree back when I was running cross country in high school of like I am a fast twitch springy athlete first, I'm a runner second. And I think part of that was still like a splinter in my brain when it came to this kind of work of like, yeah, but I'm not one of those kind of guys. I'm a basketball player. I already have strong legs. I can already like, you know, like I could go dunk a tennis ball like on a 10 foot rim. Like I'm not one of those kind of like stay on the ground types. I'm an explosive type. And I just let myself Delude. I basically like fed into this self delusion that ultimately handicapped me in my running endeavor. And the fact that it took me like 15 years to get over it is completely embarrassing. But frankly, I mean, not frankly, but finally, I'm here and I'm on the other side of it. Well, that's good to hear. And, you know, the, the more I talk to pro runners, the more I talk to strength coaches and, and other running coaches, the more I think that running injuries are primarily due to just mostly weakness. You know, you are, just aren't strong enough to handle the stress of running. Now, of course, training errors come into, a, come into play there. Of course, if you're increasing your mileage too quickly, you're doing workouts that you shouldn't be doing and all that. But if you can do the strength work, not just to get stronger, but to boost your coordination, to just feel like a more athletic person, then your running is just going to be a little easier for you. You're going to be more durable. You're going to have that coordination and proprioception and movement fluency that really helps carry you through some of those challenging runs, long runs, workouts. And ultimately, at the end of the day, not only does it make you faster, but it really reduces your injury risk. So 
you know me, I'm a big proponent of all that stuff. And I just think it's so valuable. I don't even really consider it cross training. It's just part of, you know, the, the type of training you have to do if, if you want to get better. Um, now, Matt, have you always been kind of injury prone? Have you had a lot of injuries over the last couple of years? Yeah, but not running ones. Not running ones. <laughs> like, what kind of injuries? Like I'm playing soccer outside with my son and I like sprained my ankle. Like I'm opening a window over my daughter's bookshelf and I like pull my back out. <laughs> Stuff like that. Just living life injuries that have hampered um, different things. Ultimately, I can't say that running injuries have played a big part in my life which I think was part of the reason that I didn't fully embrace this stuff because I, and this is another great way of looking at it for a lot of people. It sometimes is, you know, and this is just even for yourself. Like it's sometimes it's not about injury prevention. Sometimes you just go the other direction of like, you can be better if you dot, 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 dot. Right. Like I kept viewing it in the other direction. Like, okay, if you do this, you won't be injured. It's like, well, I'm not getting injured. Boom. Cross it off the list. Right. However, if I had viewed it as you will be faster if you do these strength things, if you do band work, if you do, you know, strides three times a week, if you do, you know, single leg lunges twice a week, especially after your, your, your speed sessions, if I do all these things, I will be a better, faster, stronger athlete. I think that that shift in perception absolutely would have made a difference for me as opposed to just a you will be healthy if you do this. And um, it's almost kind of viewing it as like a, as a positive versus a negative, right? Injury prevention is kind of like a negative statement. Um, being a better, faster athlete is a positive statement. And I think that I probably should have viewed it that way the whole time. And I think that I never really did, which is why I never really embraced it until basically you hit this bottoming out of like either I'm going to change or I'm going to stop because I just can't keep falling into this pattern. It's almost like this is an issue of being process oriented. And if you know that the proper process includes regular strides and strength training and a dynamic activation warm up before you go running and all those little things that, you know, we now probably don't think are very little then you might be a little bit more committed to that process because you just realize that just like a recipe, I have to go through these steps if I want to get my desired outcome, which is a fast, healthy, pain-free race. Can, um, can, I, can I jump in there, Jason? Because I think yeah, the other part it. too is that as a coach, I don't have that problem. I <laughs> right. have my runners do all of these things. The difference was, is that I like on some level thought that I was different in a way like, all right, yeah, it's important for them, but I don't, I don't think I need it. Like that, it, it doesn't make any logical sense. It's purely self-delusion and kind of letting go of that um, was the key thing. Cause it wasn't like I was approaching it this way with all the people I was talking to or all the athletes I was coaching the people I was helping become better, stronger, faster runners. It was purely inside my own head on all of this stuff and that's the part that you look, think back on, you're like, oh my God, what am I doing? And oftentimes, just like when I was at the track 17 years ago, watching these high level athletes compete. And I was like, wow, that's, um, this is aspirational. I can learn something from this. I had the same feeling when I read Matt Fitzgerald's book, um, when he was down with Nazalite and he goes to the first track work and it was, I mean, it was the first easy run, but I think he was going down to Camp Verde and they all break out their yoga mats and their ropes and their bands and Matt's sitting there like, what are y'all doing? And all of the pros are doing all this pre-run stuff. 
and Matt Fitzgerald's not. But like, obviously, the punchline is they're a lot better than you, and they're doing this. You're not as good, and you're not. Figure out the correlation here. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah, I think uh, it, I, I think it's great to surround yourself with runners who are better than you because you learn their habits. You look at what they they do. How do they warm up for a run? Is their first mile usually a lot slower than the rest of their easy run because they're still easing into it? There's all these tiny little nuances that you know you can sort of experience uh, as you hang out with these faster runners and. You know, like I said earlier, I always found it very aspirational. I always learned a lot from being around these these fast runners. And, you know, I usually tell runners who are very hesitant about a lot of the types of work that we're talking about right now, you know, let's just go look at some pro runners. They are doing drills and strides and warming up and strength training in the gym. And yeah, they're like doing power cleans and heavy squats. And they're not doing those things because they're good. They're good because they're doing those things. And so that, I think, is a very good lesson to take for, a, for any runner. You know, it doesn't matter if you've, you've just started or not. You know, we can still model our training off of some of those best practices. And I think the kind of people who have a hard time adopting this, again, th- these aren't bad people. I'll say that in part because like, I'm one of them. It is like the folks who took like, like stupid pleasure out of like, hey, I got a B plus on that test without studying, right? Instead of like embracing like, no, I got an A because I worked hard. It was like, no, see that? I got a B plus and I didn't even have to study. That was great, right? Like that kind of thinking, that kind of mentality when it shows up and manifests itself in running or other activities, I think this is the kind of stuff we're talking about, right? Like those kind of folks, that kind of mentality doesn't show up in like a, I'm going to show up at the marathon without training, it's skipping on this other stuff. Like, yeah, I don't do any of that stuff, man. I just show up and I run. Right. And it's just like the, we've talked about basketball before. It's like the basketball player who's like, no, I don't need to lift. I'm fine. It's like, you really should lift. Right. Like I, it's funny. Cause like, I, I hate that phrase. And if you love it and I apologize, I hate that phrase. Like, how you do something is how you do everything. Like, tell me who that applies to. Who does that apply to? Like, I, the, like the, the coaches who say that are the same people who blow off reporters at halftime. Like, well, you blow off reporters. I mean, you're blowing off your players because you, everything, how you do something is how you do everything. Like, I would never skip out on this stuff, this stuff with hoops. I never would, but I would with basketball. I would skip out on this stuff with like schoolwork, but I wouldn't skip out like in other areas of my life, like with podcasting, right? I would do all the little things. So it's figuring out what's going on like in your own head in terms of what's what's stopping you from embracing stuff that you know objectively is the best way to do it, but you're not embracing it. Why? And I think for me, it was like, I wanted to have this feeling of I could be really good even without doing that stuff because on some level, I was like, that shows that I'm talented. And it's so infantile and so ridiculous, but I think that that's that kind of mindset that can be ultimately so limiting to people when they have real goals, but don't apply themselves in a real way. And I think everyone is guilty of this. I I remember coming out of college, you know, thinking to myself, I don't need to lift weights. I don't need to get strong. I mean, I can run a 430 mile. I don't, doesn't that mean that I have strong legs? And, And there is this certain level of arrogance that we had that we think we're special. We don't have to do that stuff. And I see this a lot in, in my own coaching practice because, 
you know, everyone thinks they have their own special, unique circumstance or scenario that they need something different. And look, at the end of the day, we're all human beings. We're all going to react pretty much the same to most stimuluses. And so, you know, if we can simply, you know, put our arrogance on the floor a little bit, just leave it there and and really be a little bit more humble and say, look, I got to do all these things because I am going to get hurt. I will benefit from this. That's what the pro runners are doing. That's what the science says. And, and it took a long time for me to really get behind all of that, that kind of work, all those little things. And, and I feel like at the end of the day, it's also very valuable because it gives you such a sense of control. I think when you are going through the training and day by day, week by week, you are doing exactly what you know you need to do to improve. I'm doing the strides. I'm doing the lifting. I'm doing the workouts, the long runs, the foam rolling, the pre-run warm-ups. When you are going through all that and checking all those boxes and and really feeling good about it, it gives you a level of confidence in your training that I think is really powerful. And so at least from the confidence perspective, from that psychological perspective, I think being process-oriented and getting in all this work is just super helpful. And uh, one of those things that I think can almost give you a psychological makeover and, and really make you into uh, just a, a much better runner. Right. I mean, we are all special, but we are not anomalies, right? Like you are not an anomaly in either direction. Like if you do these things and you run and you do all this stuff, you will improve. You're not this anomaly who like is not going to improve. Like you're going to be fine. It will work out. Just stick with it. On the other end of the spectrum, you're also not an anomaly. We're like, oh, I don't need to do any of that stuff. I'll be fine. Yes, you will be fine. And that's where it will end. You will be fine. And you will get no better than that because you're not doing that stuff. Because you are not an anomaly from the rest of what everyone's doing. We do this as runners. We don't do this as bathers. We don't go into the shower like, you know what? I'm special. I don't need soap. <laughs> right? Like, what about running makes you feel this way? And I say, I'm looking in the mirror. I'm looking at myself in the Zoom. I'm talking to myself when I say this. What about running makes you feel this way, but not about these other things, right? You don't go into the shower and be like, I'm never going to use shampoo and my hair is still going to smell fine. No, <laughs> it's not. Like, not, you are not that special. You need, there are certain principles that guide things here. And that is the thing that I think the quicker we realize that, it opens things up. It doesn't become restrictive. Okay, sometimes having guidelines can free us up to do things, right? It's because all of a sudden we don't have this paradox of choice of like, we're at the Cheesecake Factory and there's a thousand things on the menu and we can't decide. So ultimately we just pick the same thing every time because we're overwhelmed by choice. We are like, okay, now I have these five choices. I'm going to choose these three things and here we go. And all of a sudden you have a better experience and it's it's just completely, it's just, it, it frees you up. And I think that with running, it's the same exact thing in a lot of ways. And by really absorbing the pre-run, post-run and strength routines, you're allowing yourself the versatility to have the kinds of running experiences that ultimately give your life more freedom and allow you to do far more things than this supposed freedom freedom of, I don't need to do pre-run stuff or post-run stuff or strength training, fine. But then you're not going to have the experiences that you could be having. Very well put, Matt. I loved how you phrased that. 
I'm sure we could sit here and philosophize about running for a couple hours, but uh, I want to know what's next for Rambling Runner. You are barreling toward episode number 350, which seems very close to episode 400, which is pretty crazy. Um, and, and I just, I assume that Spotify is knocking on your door with one of those $100 million deals like Joe Rogan. Is that what's next for you? <laughs> Yeah, it might it might look like this is my dining room behind me, but it's not. No, it's this hugely professional lab uh, that I got things set up in. No, it's I. First of all, I have the best job in the world, and so do you. We both can say this. Um, it is a absolute honor and a pleasure to do the things that I do. I get paid to talk to interesting people. That is one hell of a gig. So, what I love is talking to dedicated amateur runners who are doing amazing things and basically showing other dedicated amateur runners that they can do those things too. And that job never gets old. I absolutely love it. And the more stuff I can put out to that end, the better. And I also love coaching for the exact same reason. I coach for McCurdy Trained, which is, again, an absolute pleasure. And I love the athletes that I coach and I'm bringing on more, more, more people all the time. But with the podcast, it's just so much fun talking to this. And when I think about what's next, what could this be? I don't know, but I'm, I don't want to limit it. You know what I mean? When I look at someone like Bart Yasso, the kind of impact he had on the dedicated amateurs for decades who read Runner's World, I'm like, I want to do that. That's what I want to do. Maybe it's a different medium. Maybe I'm not going to every single race, every single weekend like Bart did for decades, which is, I don't even know how he's still living at this point. He, he just dedicated himself so thoroughly to the people in the sport. But I look at that as a model of what's possible. And I think I want to do that because I am always influenced by the people that I talk to, which is the reason I started this show in the first place. I didn't care if anyone listened to my podcast. I wanted to talk to those people I was talking to. And if I could record that conversation and other people could learn from it, that's a great side benefit. But it was purely scratching my own itch of talking to unbelievable people. And I just want to keep doing that for as long as I can. Yeah, well, Bart Yasso is nicknamed the mayor of running. Maybe soon you will be the governor of running or some other fun name. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, I think I'm like the whole hall monitor of running. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Oh, Matt. Well, it's been a real pleasure. Uh, I hope our listeners check out the Rambling Runner podcast, The Road to the Trials, and uh, connect with you on social. I'm, I'm going to have some links to your social profiles, but where are you at? Where can we find you? Yeah, luckily, I've been able to stay all the same. So it's rambling underscore runner. So for me, that is uh, Instagram and Twitter is where I'm primarily on um, the podcast. You can find wherever you listen to podcasts. And yeah, we're always trying to do new things. I know like just like you, I'm always looking to try new stuff and really explore uh, what's possible in all these endeavors. But ultimately, if you're following me on either Instagram and or Twitter, rambling underscore runner, you'll be aware of what's going on. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. And there we have it, runners. Matt is so fun to chat with. And if you enjoyed this conversation, go ahead and leave a review on Apple Music. You'll make my day. And don't miss Matt's podcasts, the Rambling Runner podcast, and the Road to the Trials. By the way, if you're searching for proven strategies to improve your training, check out strengthrunning.com slash coaching. You can see all of our options for you to prevent injuries, get stronger, and improve your mindset. 
And our sponsor, Precision Hydration, has generously offered 15% off your first order with code STRENGTH15. If you remember back to last year, I interviewed their founder and CEO, Andy Blow, about everything you can imagine about hydration. You can check out episode 147 for that full conversation. Well, Andy was nice enough to set me up with a custom sweat test. I've never had one done before, and I learned a lot of new things about my body doing this process. So first, I learned that I don't sweat very much at all, but when I do, I'm practically an outlier in terms of how salty my sweat is. So for long efforts when it's hot, I certainly have to pay far more attention to my electrolyte levels so I don't crash. As soon as I started getting into longer race distances, I realized that hydration is not something that you can forget about in your training. Now, of course, there isn't a one-size-fits-all approach to hydration for athletes, which is why I love that precision hydration helps athletes refine their hydration strategy for whatever event that you might be training for. If you can't get a custom sweat test done, then no sweat. You can have a free online sweat test that you can take at precisionhydration.com, and that will give you your own personalized hydration strategy. Now, it is heating up here in Denver where I am. I'm ending my runs a lot sweatier. We've had so many 100-degree days here, and so I know I'm paying a lot more attention to my hydration and electrolyte needs, especially if I go for any longer runs more than an hour or if I go up to altitude. And I'm very grateful that Precision Hydration offers a variety of products to help, from tablets to packets to capsules. Check out Precision Hydration at precisionhydration.com. And don't forget, you can get 15% off your first order of electrolytes that match how you sweat by using the code STRENGTH15. That's STRENGTH15 at checkout to save 15%. All right, that's our show today. Thank you so much for subscribing and hanging out with me today. I'm so grateful that you're part of this community. We'll be in touch soon. 